I really do. Hey guys, welcome. Are you ready to worship, to praise our Creator in this beautiful place? I am so excited to be here with you this morning. And if you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. And, and I believe the Spirit of God is binding us together where we're here or wherever you're at in your house or in your camper, wherever you're at. God is ministering. He's calling us to Himself. And so what a joy to worship together in this beautiful morning. So if you're here for the first time or you've come over the last few weeks out here in the meadow to join us in worship, uh, we would love to welcome you to Rimrock Church. And so there's a little table uh, with a little uh, balloon uh, over by the basketball hoop over there. And we have a gift for you if you're a visitor, if you've been here the last few weeks for the first time. We want to welcome you and we would love to um, get some information from you so we could uh, uh, better let you know about what God is doing here at Rimrock Church and how we can uh, better connect with you as well. Am I missing something? Am I good? Okay. Someone was doing this, so I thought, oh boy, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> Nothing. There's, there's reverb on Ben's voice. Okay, we're good. Okay, I'm de-reverbed. Thank you. You're, you're unreverbed. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, so welcome. If you're here, please uh, check in at the table. Also, if, uh, if you need to go inside, there's a, on the first, uh, um, at the door entrance over there where it says, Jesus is King, amen, Jesus is King. If you go in there, there's a, a place where you can see the live feed on video as well. So if you need to go inside uh, for any reason, you can watch and be part of worship there as well. So this morning, we're wrapping up Ecclesiastes, and this has been such a, a rich journey through this amazing uh, book that God has revealed to us, uh, and it's not what uh, we expect when we dive into Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a call to a life of purpose, a life of joy with God. And so this morning we're going to wrap it up, but we're going to do it a little differently. Um, we're going to do a three-point sermon, but instead of having one preacher, there's going to be three of us. So myself and Nick and Bill Ewing are going to share each point out of the final chapter of Ecclesiastes. So would you join me in praying as we prepare our hearts for God's Word? Lord, we are still before you this morning. As we reflect on our past week, for some of us here, it's been full of joy and gratitude and good things. For others, it's been a week full of trial and tribulation and temptation and struggle. But either way, Lord, we know that you are the source of life, and that we need you. Desperately, we need you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear your invitation to come to come into your presence, to come and to hear your words, your truth, to open our hearts to your love this morning. And so I just, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would minister to each of us this morning as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we come to the final verses. And uh, this was designed for a three-point sermon because there's three primary truths that Solomon wants to leave with us as, as he has shared in Ecclesiastes a little of his own journey because Solomon tried, attempted life without God. He pursued life on his own apart from God and he found it full of pain and sorrow and meaninglessness, the chasing after the wind. 
but he f- offers us the view to see God and to understand that life is a gift from God. And when we understand that life is a gift from God, it changes everything. And we begin to experience joy and the gifts that God gives in this life. And so he concludes with three main ideas. And I'm only going to be sharing out of verse 11. And this idea that God has spoken and that he is the one shepherd. And so if you look with me, I will read verse 9 through 11. Not only is the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote is upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, and their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Given by one shepherd. I just want to spend a few minutes reflecting on this idea that God has spoken. It says the words. You know, if Jesus had come in our day, you know, he probably would have gone on YouTube or, or social media to communicate. But there's something about words that are, that's different. That you can't capture in an image or a movie or a video that God in his sovereignty and his wisdom chose to reveal himself in a time when words needed to be written down and needed to be spoken. And I think that's so uh, profound for us as human beings because words are essential to life. And it's the very nature of God in that he created with a word. He spoke this creation into being. And so the breath that you breathe as you take in a breath is a gift of the Word of God. God spoke and He breathed life into Adam and Eve. And He's spoken life into everything else. And if you think about words, words have the power of death and life. And we see that every day. We see that in our relationships. We see that in our world where words carelessly carelessly spoken cause so much harm. But words can bring life. And God has revealed Himself through words. We believe as Christians that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That this book wasn't written by uh, extraordinary people, rather ordinary people. People like you and me who had personalities and different characteristics and strengths and weaknesses. But God chose in his sovereignty by his Holy Spirit to inspire to breathe through men and women who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we see God revealing himself through the word. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16, it's the other 3.16. You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But 2 Timothy 3.16 says that it is through the word of God that all scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed, God-spoken, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And so, in Ecclesiastes, we have the revelation of God. And if you look in, chapter, in verse 12, you see a reflection of what the final words in the Bible are, right? In Revelation, the final verse says, if anyone adds to these. And so, we have to understand that there's something special, unique, 
powerful about the scriptures, the word of God revealed. And then he uses a couple images, goads, nails. What's he saying? <laughs> He's talking about imagery that can be hard for us to understand, but is important for us to understand. Is that the word of God isn't swayed by human opinion or human desire or human comfort. We're used to all kinds of messages, words uh, floating here and there, and messages bombarding us in all different ways. But God's word is true, and sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. In Ecclesiastes, we've encountered uncomfortable truth. We're all going to face death. We all are temporary. We all are going to face the reality of the curse in our lives. We are going to age. We have struggles. We have temptation. And so Ecclesiastes speaks hard words. These are like goads, like a cattle prod <laughs> to train. And so I think in these images we see both truth and grace. And Jesus came and it says he revealed God as full of grace and truth. And so the word of God is true. It's not always what we want to hear. It's not always what makes us comfortable. In fact, it often makes us uncomfortable. It challenges us. It stretches us. It makes us come to the end of ourselves. And so we see in the Word of God that we see the training of God. But that would not be good news if we did not know the character of God. And so he says, these are given by the one shepherd. And I want to end my time with this thought, that God is a shepherd. And here's the, there, we, as a staff on Wednesday, we talked about this, and we, for over half an hour, we talked about different aspects of God as a shepherd. It's so rich. It's so profound. But the thing I've been thinking about this week is that for a shepherd, his sheep is the most valuable, important thing that he has. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, God's highest value, his highest love, is for his supreme creation, which is you and me and all of humanity. He made us in his image and he loves us. We are infinitely valuable to him. He is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he speaks what is best for us. He wants to bless us. You know what? The story of the Bible doesn't begin with a curse. It begins with a blessing. And it ends with a blessing. God is all about blessing. He wants to rescue us from the reality of the curse. And he is doing that. He is inviting us to himself. And so I want to close by quoting Psalm 23 because if you think about it, Solomon is the son of David. And I wonder if while he was writing Ecclesiastes and he said, the, given by the one shepherd, if he was not thinking of Psalm 23. Would you close your eyes and listen to these words? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the shadow, the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Because you are with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And the and the, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says this, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and do what he says, because this applies to every person. I love verses like this because, in a sense, you don't need any context. You don't need to understand what was happening during the times and the author's intent in the audience. You hardly need to cross-reference, right? Fear God and do what he says. And this applies to every person. Scripture says in Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so I think a good question to ask is, what does it mean to fear God? In fact, I think that's a good question to probably ask each other uh, at different times. Just explore and express to one another, what does it mean to fear God? And according to Solomon, that is the start of living a life full of wisdom. And as we've seen throughout this book, wisdom leads to blessing. And so I think for me, a couple things come to mind when I try to wrap my mind around answering the question of what it means to fear God. One, I believe it's simply an acknowledgement of God's power and God's wisdom. Acknowledging and living underneath the reality, specifically that God is smarter than me, that God is bigger than me, that God is better than me, that God is more powerful than me. I think most of the time when I get into trouble, when I commit mistakes, commit sin, there's an element of pride. And if you think about it, pride is almost always comparative, right? It's me thinking I know more. It's me thinking that I can control more. It's me thinking that I can do better. And in relation to God, we'd hardly ever say that out loud. But when you think about how we live our lives, and uh, if God asks me, hey, it's not good to gossip. It's not good to slander. It's not good to consider other people's voice before mine. It's not good to fear man before God. And yet I have all kinds of opportunities almost every single day to decide whether he knows what he's talking about or not. And so I think the start of fearing God is saying, regardless of I, if I know the whole situation, regardless if it makes sense from my view, God, I fear you. I acknowledge your power and authority more than I think of myself. I think we do well to uh, learn from many old psalms, many old hymns, many old prayers. I feel like they had a little bit of better grasp of simply acknowledging the power and the majesty of God. But as Ben said, uh, reflecting the shepherd, all of that is in the context of a loving relationship. All of that is in the context of a God who sought me out to rescue me, to make me his son. And so I want my kids to acknowledge the authority that I have in their life. I want them to acknowledge the power that I have in their life. I want them to acknowledge the wisdom that I have in their life. But I never, ever, ever want them to forget that they are my son or they are my daughter. And so I exercise that power, that authority, and that wisdom on their behalf. Last week, Bill talked about a scripture that says, All of the plans I have for you are for your good. So the fear of God, recognizing, acknowledging, and living under his wisdom and his power in the context that he is good, that he is for me, that he loves me, embracing and understanding that message, I believe, is what's going to change our country, what's going to change our world, and it's going to start with us as individuals. There's two pieces of scripture that really stuck out to me when I thought about 
God putting power on display, and it's throughout the whole Bible. Uh, but one Ben highlighted actually about six weeks ago, we talked about the disciples and Jesus in the boat. Do you remember? And the storm is coming, and it says they were terrified. They were afraid. They were afraid for their lives. They were afraid for their well-being. They were afraid for their safety. And when Jesus gets up and says, be still, and the waves and the winds stop, it says then they were incredibly afraid. You see, their fear changed. might have felt similar, but it changed from the danger, and their life was at stake. And now all of a sudden, they recognized the power of God over even the natural events of the world, even over the weather. And so I don't think at that point they pivoted to being afraid for their lives because this God just saved their lives. He exercised authority and power to save their lives. But the fear transferred to acknowledging that power and the natural, the natural result of that is submission. When you and I recognize and pay homage to the kingship authority of God, I believe our natural state will be to surrender and submit to him. The other piece of the Bible that, that stands out that I think God constantly expresses himself is when Jesus was going to be arrested, going, marching to be crucified, marching to taste the wrath of God on our behalf. You remember when the soldiers come out and Judas is leading them, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he gets up and he says, I'm him. What happens? Everybody falls to the ground. I think it's him expressing and, and making sure everyone knows that nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I lay it down by my own choosing. I lay it down for my sheep. And at that moment, and I think throughout all of history, God wants to make sure that we know that he is more powerful, that he is smarter, that he is better than anything and everything, and specifically me. But he also wants me to recognize he exercises all of that for his glory. And what else? For my good. For my good. Matthew 10:28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot fear the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. My challenge to you and my challenge to me is this. Imagine being one of those soldiers saying, We're looking for Jesus. He speaks and you fall to the ground. And you've got to kind of shake yourself up and you get up and imagine continuing to arrest him. That's the stubbornness of our hearts. And I can understand knowing that God has proven his faithfulness over and over and over. He has proven that he is all-powerful. That He has proven that he loves me and that he is for me. And yet in the moments of every day, I shake myself up from the ground of humility and I try to bow up to God once again. So I'm grateful for his grace and my encouragement to you is continue to simply acknowledge his power and his wisdom. Continue to fear God and I believe as a result you will do what he says. And you will experience joy and purpose and healing and so will those around you. Amen? I know you're all just enjoying the fact that the three preachers are kind of deciding who can do the shortest. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have a vote afterwards and see who our followers are. Uh, on the way up the hill today, I was reminded of something. It was a story uh, that was true. 
And the older I get, the stories seem to get bigger and better. So I decided I'll call my youngest son and, and say, tell me this story. Uh, of course, little do I know, my son can also embellish stories as well. But um, I had all three of my boys. We were driving up the hill to Deadwood, and we were in the car, and they had visiting from uh, New York. They had their, which would be their cousin, which would be my nephew, riding with us. Uh, my nephew uh, wasn't quite sure uh, about discipline. I'm not sure there had been any discipline. Matter of fact, one day they came home and somebody had left uh, a book by Dotson, Dare to Discipline, on their porch. <laughs> so we're riding up and, uh, and I ask him to stop doing this and stop spitting. And the next thing you know, he just spits on everybody. So I stopped the car. Um, today I could have been arrested. But I stopped the car, got them all out on the highway, and I spanked them. Get back in the car and we take off and uh, he just doesn't know what hit him. And uh, it wasn't three miles later, I stop the car, and I get him out of the car, and he's like this, and my younger son says, don't you know that if you'll just stop spitting and do what he says, he'll stop hitting you? <laughs> and that seems stupid to that kid. My kids knew, do what you said, and it'll go well with you. Deuteronomy Chapter 30 says, I've set before you life and death. Choose life that you may obey the words of God and the things of your Lord Almighty so that it will go well with you and your household and I'll bless you for it. If you don't choose and you choose death, it won't go well. Now, Nick alluded to this, but I want to kind of bring you to a place here. We're concluding this book. And you'll notice at this book it says, I've, I've pondered all of this. I've came to the conclusion the writing of many books is, is endless. The downloading of all kinds of information is weary to your body. In the end, just fear God and do what he says. A great old author that I like read said, Why in the world do undisciplined people who are not teachable, spend so much money on books and information. So here's a conclusion. The shepherd said something a long time ago, and he said this. He said, there, I'm going to be speaking to you, and I'll be speaking to you in parables, and I'll take you aside and explain the parables. You saw even today, as Ben unfolded, there needed to be some explanation of the shepherd. You needed to grasp and understand it. And, and then less important was Nick to talk about the fear but it needed to be uh, laid out for you but the shepherd goes on and says but there'll be a day that they'll speak and you won't have anybody need for explanation I want you to just listen to this I've thought of it all I've written it all I've come to the conclusion of this fear God and do what he says you need an explanation for that it cannot get any simpler than that. Do what he says. Now you may ask this, and it would, it would be uh, arrogant of me to decide to build on that comment. Because I read it this morning and I said, what else can I say? Nobody said it better than what you did. Do what you say. You may ask the question, which is valid. Okay, what is his command? 
he takes care of that and wipes that out. He says, this is my command. If you love me, you'll keep my command. What is my command? Love who you're with. This fulfills all the commandments. If you'll love other people, then you're telling me that you love me and we'll come and we'll manifest ourselves with you. So basically, love. The other question you might ask is this. How do I do it? The one shepherd that Ben alluded to, that Solomon alluded to, that David alluded to, that Nick alluded to, made this comment. He gave us the power and he gave us the ability to fulfill that command at the end of Ecclesiastes 12. He said, my father is a vine dresser. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in the vine, you will bear forth the fruit. We go on to see later in that chapter, the fruit was that you will love one another. If you don't abide in me, you will not be able to do what was requested of you. So, in conclusion is this. You don't need any more instruction. I don't need any more instruction. Have an awesome respect for God. Know that he is God and you are not. My favorite verse is, Oh Lord God, thou knowest, I don't anymore. And do what he says by submitting to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can empower you. Would you pray with me? Father, it seems so simple. I think of just even a little four-year-old that figured out, if you just do what you said, things will go better. And yet we pridefully make choices of our own to decide we don't believe in you. I pray, Holy Spirit, fill us, empower everybody in this place, everybody listening, everybody watching, and everybody out here today, that we would right now open up our hearts and say, Father, fill me with your gift of the Holy Spirit, who allows me to then reflect your life by loving others and keeping your commandment. For we are unable to do it. And we ask this with total confidence that you'll give it because you promised you'd give what you commanded. And you said you would give us your spirit if we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.